Heavenly Father, as we study an important story in the Gospels um, this morning, we pray that you would be with us and would open our eyes to understand the truths of this text. And um, we have come to acknowledge that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we thank you for Peter's confession here. Let us learn, let us be quick to hear, for it's in the name of Christ we ask and pray. Amen. So we're picking up, um, we're skipping around a little bit, but we're picking up in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Uh, Somebody read for us verses 13 through 20. Through verse 20. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I will, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Thank you. So, um, in chapter 14, right after Jesus finished preaching all of those parables, something really significant happened. He's on the boat, he's preaching the parables, and then he goes to Nazareth, He's rejected at Nazareth in his hometown, is not going to return there again in his earthly ministry. And then word reaches him uh, that kind of two important things have taken place. Number one, uh, Herod has killed John the Baptist. You remember how he kills John, by the way? Yeah, he, uh, he beheads him uh, and then has his head like presented on a platter. Um, So he has John the Baptist put to death, and then Jesus also finds out that Herod knows about Jesus. And Herod would really like to see Jesus. So Jesus, knowing that it's not quite time for him to be put to death, decides to leave the region of Galilee. So if we um, are thinking about a map of Israel, you've got what's called the Mediterranean Sea over here. You've got the Jordan River Uh, the Sea of Galilee, and then the Jordan continues going and empties into the Dead Sea. Uh, Jerusalem is about right here. This up here is the region of Galilee. And so Jesus is kind of going back and forth. Oh, I put three E's for some reason. Jesus has kind of been going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. Um, By the time we hit our text, though, he's traveled really, really, really far north. To a point where you're almost kind of like questionable whether you're in Israel anymore. And the city that he's in here is called Caesarea Philippi. Um, Caesarea Philippi. um, Can anybody see a word in Caesarea? Caesar. Caesar. And then Philippi looks like a name. Philip. Philip. So this is a city, uh, Caesar Philip, 
King Philip. It's a, it's a very Roman city. And Jesus has kind of gone here to have a short retreat with his disciples before they start making their trek really far south to Jerusalem. Uh, pretty soon, Jesus and his disciples will start heading towards Jerusalem. And whenever he gets there, he will be crucified and put to death. And along the way, first at Caesarea Philippi, and then twice more as they travel to Jerusalem, Jesus will predict his own death. But he has this short reprieve, this short period of rest in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. And as he's in Caesarea Philippi, the the disciples have seen him minister for about three years now. They've seen uh, the miracles that he's performed. They've heard his teachings. And Jesus puts the question to them. Who are people saying that I am? And the disciples answer and they say, some, of you, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Almost like John's returned from the dead. Some people think that you're John. How long has John been dead? I don't really know. Um, apparently some measure of time because they think like John's been like raised from the dead or something, right? Um, it, it doesn't really tell us exactly. I would think maybe a period of a couple months has passed. I think that's probably a reasonable guess. Um, So some people say that you're John the Baptist. Other people say that you're Elijah. Why would people think that he's maybe Elijah? Because he actually never died. Yeah, Elijah was taken up into heaven. uh, You remember the chariot of fire, right? He was taken up into heaven. And the prophet Malachi had predicted that before the last day came, before the Lord appeared, uh, he would send the prophet Elijah to prepare the way. That's in Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 4, verse 5. Yes, ma'am? And so um, some people think that Jesus is a prophet that's preparing the way for uh, the the great day when the Lord will reveal himself. Um, Who is actually the Elijah figure? John the Baptist Baptist is. And who is actually the appearing of God? Jesus. Jesus is. But some people think that he's Elijah. Some people think that he's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Um, There's a little bit of a strange phenomenon in in the book of Matthew. This isn't repeated from other authors, but it is in the book of Matthew. Sometimes Matthew uses the name Jeremiah to kind of like stand in for all the prophets. Um, So, um, you know, sometimes uh, if you're talking about like all of your classmates, have, have you ever been talking to a family member or something and, and they're asking you about something at school and you say something along the lines of, um, you know, Gray and Isaac and all of them say this, right? You're meaning kind of the entire class, but you're summarizing the entire class by just mentioning a couple of people. Um, sometimes you, you might do it with your teachers. You might say, uh, Mr. Gray and Mr. Parrot and all the rest of them think such and such, Right. Um, sometimes we, we kind of summarize things in that way. In, in church history, a couple of you guys have, have done dabbled in church history. Uh, in church history, if you want to talk about all the reformers of the 16th century, you often summarize it by saying Luther and Calvin say this. That's a shorthand for saying all the reformers say this, agree on this. Um, and so Jeremiah there um, in this text, there's one other text where uh, this is really important. Jeremiah is kind of a way for Matthew to summarize the entire prophetic corpus. Uh, in the, um, in the, this day and age, the scrolls of the prophets were usually kind of stitched together. 
So they kind of made up like one book of the prophets. And so uh, Jeremiah maybe had a prominent role in that. Maybe, maybe he was one of the first books or maybe he was one of the last books or maybe he was just considered the most important in Matthew's day and age. Um, but he'll summarize uh, all of the prophets by saying Jeremiah at times. So um, some people say you're John. Some people say Elijah. Some people say that you're Jeremiah or maybe one of those other prophets. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, always quick on the draw. Oh, he, he's going to answer. And he does it the correct way. He has a good answer. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Um, you guys know that Christ is not Jesus' last name. What is Christ? What does that mean? Yeah, this is the New Testament version of the Old Testament word Messiah. You are the Messiah. You're the one that was promised in the Old Testament that's going to bring salvation. You're that guy. You're the son of the living God. Uh, Messiah um, technically means anointed one. the son of Joseph. Uh, right? So, uh, he, is, he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. The one that the Old Testament promised. Um, other people, by the way, were anointed in the Old Testament, weren't they? Can you think of anybody that got anointed in the Old Testament? David as king. Who else? Any king did, really. Solomon, all of them. Um, you know the first person. You know the first person who got anointed. Who is it? All of the what? Priests. Yeah. Who's the first one? Uh, who? Aaron. Aaron is the first person who's get, who gets anointed in the in the Old Testament. He literally gets Messiah <laughs> as a verb. Okay. It's really interesting. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. Whenever he comes down, two of the first things that he does is he goes to his brother Aaron and he messiahs him. He anoints him as a priest, Christ, right? It's Christ in verb form, basically. He Christs him. He anoints him. And then the next thing that Moses does is he goes to his secretary, the, the, the guy who's his helper. What is that guy's name? No. Wait, Aaron's helper? His name is Hoshea, and he renames him Joshua. So Moses goes up on the mountain, gets revelation from the Lord, comes down, and the first thing he does is he goes up to uh, Aaron and says, Christ, and then he goes over to, <laughs> to, to Hosea and says, Joshua. Joshua is the same name as what? Jesus. So the first thing that Moses does after coming down from Mount Sinai is he says, the Christ Jesus. <laughs> Very interesting, isn't it? All right. He... That word for anointing has not been used in the Old Testament yet. The first person who receives an anointing is Aaron. It's a Messiah-ing of Aaron. And then Joshua, well, Hosea gets renamed Joshua. It's a new name in Scripture. So the two of the first words out of most, you know, he breaks the tablets and then goes back up and then comes out. Two of the first words out of his mouth are, are Jesus the Christ. Did you guys know that? I didn't pick up on that. 
until no, like I a month ago. No idea. That was the thing. Um, this is why you read church history. I'm, I'm listening to an audio book um, from an, an old Christian named Eusebius, and he points that out. And it's like, oh, <laughs> that is 100% true. Wow. Um, this is why we read closely. So um, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus <laughs> responds and says, blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonas, or the sign of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Where did Simon Peter get this knowledge from? From heaven. It's a revelation of heaven that this is who Jesus is. He then renames him Peter. The, the text has already been calling him Peter, but this is where he actually receives the name Peter. Um, and Peter um, comes from the Greek word petros, meaning rock. And he says, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then we have the weird text that I told you we'll talk about whenever we get to John. So the very next thing uh, that Jesus does, someone read uh, verses 21 through 23. Uh, 323, please. Yeah, <laughs> still in Caesarea Philippi. They've not left yet. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe <laughs> sitting in the same spot. We don't know. For sure, but not a very long time later, is it? And why is Peter upset? What what does Peter and really all the people think the Messiah will do and be like? Maccabean warrior. And now Jesus is like, I'm going to Jerusalem and uh, my own people are going to kill me. Not even the Romans. It's not even that I'm going to die in battle against the Romans. It's that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and those guys are going to kill me. And, um... Peter, I think this is funny. It, he doesn't confront Jesus in front of the other disciples. Hey, hey man, come here, come here, come here. That's not going to happen. No. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. Uh, or literally in Greek, you're a stumbling block to me. I'm, it, Jesus is saying, I'm walking to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm going to fulfill my Father's will. And, and it's like you've put something in my way for me to trip over. You're trying to trip me up and stop me from going. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Really takes a turn for the worse very quickly, doesn't it? You are Peter. On this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You are Satan. <laughs> And in verses 24 through 28, Jesus says that suffering is not just something that he himself will do. He says, uh, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him, what? Deny himself, take up his cross, 
and follow me. You know, think about that for a minute. Notice that it says, take up his cross. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Um, Do we suffer in exactly the same way that Jesus suffered? Thank goodness, no. Um, Do we suffer in the same way that each other suffers? Do our trials and our temptations look exactly the same as our classmates? No. Some of us might feel like we have big crosses and we might look at other people and say they have small crosses, something like that. Um, The text tells us to take up our own personal cross, deny ourselves and follow Christ. We're going to have different struggles. Our crosses are going to look a little bit different. Uh, There's going to be different trials that come into each and every one of our lives. And what this text is warning us against is trying to say, well, that person's, I would rather have that person's cross than the cross that I have to carry. Um, You ever thought that before? Man, that person's life is so much easier than mine. I wish I had that person's life. You ever thought that before? You ever gotten to know somebody after you thought that and then thought to yourself, man, I'm glad that I have my life. Sometimes what we see on the surface or on Instagram or or, or on on something like that uh, doesn't tell the whole story. Some of us feel like we have big crosses and other people have small crosses and then we maybe figure out that they've been carrying a much bigger cross than we have the entire time. Some of us maybe have small crosses and maybe there's just petty little things in our life all the time and we think, man, if, if there was something big that I was trying to go through, it would almost be easier in a sense. You know, if, uh, if, if there was something big, some big trial that came, I would have support from people. People would be more sympathetic and understanding. But here I am with just these petty little small problems and, and sometimes that just feels even harder to carry. The call of this text is to take up your own cross and follow Christ. Whatever it is that is your apportioned lot, whatever the temptations and trials are that are in your Christian life, that's what you're called to carry. That's what you're called to walk with, uh, with Christ uh, through. He continues and he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Question? Why does he say some? Yeah, he says, Truly there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Uh, whenever you read that text, what does it sound like at first that's talking about? Multimortality. You say, what did you say, Josh? Multiple. Because I know John the Baptist. I mean, not John the Baptist. John the Apostle. All the disciples. All the disciples are standing there, and he says, there will be some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What does the Son of Man coming in his kingdom sound like at first glance? Yeah, a lot of people are going to read that as the second coming. Um, Here's an issue, though. Um, Has the second coming happened yet? No. No. Are any of the original 12 disciples still alive? Let's hope not. No. Uh, You know, there's a... um, The... Gospel of John has to address a myth that uh, John would not die ever. You know that? There was a myth in the early church, a really early church, that because of something Jesus said and because of this text, the Apostle John was apparently not going to die. 
he was going to survive until Christ came again. Um, in the Gospel of John, Jesus, uh, John writes it and says, that's not what Jesus meant. Totally going to die. That's okay. He says, that's not what we're talking about here. Are any of the 12 alive right now? Has the second coming happened? No. So, uh, either we have two choices. Either Jesus was just wrong, or this is not about the second coming. Guess which one I'm going to go with. I don't think it's about the second coming. I don't think the Son of Man coming in his kingdom is a phrase in Scripture about the second coming. Uh, I think it's about something very different. I think it's actually about his ascension. Um, So, uh, I will talk about that in more detail whenever we get to Matthew 24, once I'm back from Kansas City. We'll return to that text, and I will make a case that that is not about the second coming. Uh, I also don't think the phrase about the Son of Man coming on the clouds is about the second coming. The Son of Man coming through the clouds, ripping the clouds apart and coming, that's about the second coming. But the Son of Man coming on the clouds... Uh, Old Testament uses that phrase in a very significant place, and it is most definitely not about the second coming. So, um, this takes us through Matthew 16. Um, after this, uh, after this chapter, whenever we pick back up after your test, um, Matthew 17 and following, uh, we'll be looking at Jesus heading towards Jerusalem and then entering Jerusalem uh, a few chapters later. Um, I told you guys I wouldn't be here at all next week. Plans change slightly. I will be here on Monday. I will not be here the rest of the week, but I will be here on Monday. Um, no, you still have Timothy. Um, yeah, everybody's still coming except, uh, Jim is not going to be here on Monday. I'll be here on Monday. Um, so any questions from Matthew one through 16? Any questions about anything? Well, that <laughs> okay, we'll go to Bella. Okay, so in Mark, about the temple tax, it doesn't, I don't think it mentions the fish. Where's the passage? Uh, in Mark. Oh, is that the tax? Yeah, the temple tax. Does it just say honor, uh, give to Caesar what's Caesar's? So Mark doesn't have the weird fish story? No. no okay. It just says, like, they went outside and they came back to the coin. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, that's a good thing to notice. You know, and, and again, I don't have a ready answer for why Mark doesn't include that, but the way that we want to approach that, as we talked about the synoptic problem and how um, you know, that can give us some layer of meaning. We want to approach that and start asking questions like, um, you know, why does Matthew have the fish story? What, what is important about the fish for Matthew to include? Why would maybe Mark not need to include that point uh, as he's writing to his church audience? Uh, you know, we want to ask some of those why questions. Honestly, I don't have, I haven't really looked at that story in a lot of detail like I have the leper story. Um, I was telling somebody recently, like, I really wish that I was like 40 and that I had been studying scripture for like another 15 years. Uh, cause, uh, you know, I'm 24. I've only been doing this for, I've been studying scripture like intensely for eight years, maybe. Uh, and, and so, um, there's just, 
lot that we haven't gotten to yet. So I'm, I'm not sure why, why that's not included. Isaac? Uh, two questions. Okay. Uh, Herod killed John the Baptist, right? Yes. Okay. Which John wrote John? John the Disciple. So John the Disciple was a 13-year-old, right? Uh, something like that. A lot of people think he was pretty young. So um, there is some debate uh, about some stuff. So John the Baptist... Um, uh, I read a book that like just like um, I read this really stupid New Testament study book. It was it was really poorly done, but I had to read it for one of my seminary classes. Uh, I really I really didn't like it. Um, but um, it would always abbreviate things to four letters to the point that if it referenced the book of Nahum or the book of Micah, instead of writing Nahum out all the way, it's one more letter. It would just do it like that. Nahum? I think that's ridiculous. I will tell you very quickly. Um, this That is a thing in certain circles of academia. Um, there are certain like formats, writing formats, where you use that. One um, of my academic goals in my life, uh, this is nowhere close to the question Isaac answered. I'm just going to share. Um, in the seven and eight hundreds, there is a figure in church history whose name, this is the greatest name I have ever heard. His name was Paschasius <laughs> Radburnus. In church history? In church history, there was a guy named Paschasius Radburnus. I hardly know anything about Paschasius Radburnus, except that one of these days, I want to become the world's leading scholar on Paschasius Radburnus. I don't, I don't really know anything about the guy, like, biographically. I know kind of about one document that he wrote, and I find it incredibly disagreeable. But I want to become the world's leading Paschasius Radburnus scholar so that I can be the person responsible. I want to write in this format. And I want to be the person responsible for giving him the infamous nickname, P-Rad. <laughs> Everything I do academically is pushing towards that goal. There's no other motivation whatsoever. It is so that one day I can, I can, I can, I can write an important paper on this guy and say, Paschasius Radbert is abbreviated PRAD. And just throughout the entire rest of the paper, anytime I reference the guy, just write PRAD. And make it like a very serious academic paper. Get it published. Man, that is the dream right there. Priorities. You asked a question. I don't remember what it was. Me neither. Except I do. Which John wrote John? Okay, so you've got John the Baptist, um, who was Jesus's cousin, the one who was baptizing and all of that stuff. Um, then um, you're introduced to uh, John the disciple, or John the apostle, um, and... This is the John that um, I think probably wrote, he, he was a disciple of Jesus, he's called the disciple whom Jesus loved, probably a young guy. I think he wrote the Gospel of John. I also think he wrote First through Third John. I also think he wrote Revelation. Um, sometimes he goes by the term John the Presbyter, the Presbyterian, 
uh, or John the Elder, uh, because he became a leader in the church and he died whenever he was very old. So sometimes he's called John the Presbyter or John the Elder. Sometimes, depending on who you're reading, uh, there are people who make a distinction between the disciple John and John the Elder. There are some people who think that's two different people, and that the disciple John wrote the gospel. They think that John the Elder wrote 1st through 3rd John, and then they think it's actually a 3rd John who wrote Revelation, John of Patmos. So, there are people who take kind of this view, or some variation of it. Um, so, um, I think that it makes the most sense that the same John, the one who's the disciple, the one who is the Presbyterian, uh, <laughs> uh, wrote all of them, um, but I'll, I'll hold that with a pretty open hand as well. Yes? Okay, so that also, like, the brother of James, right? And, like, the son of thunder, that John, mm-hmm. the disciple, that one? Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah. And there's two Jameses, right? There's James, yeah. the brother of Jesus, and there's James, the brother of John. Right, and the James, the brother of John, is the one who is a disciple James, who is called the brother of Jesus, that wrote the book of James, rejected Jesus at first. He was part of the family that rejected him, and later came around and realized he's the Messiah. Because Jesus specifically shows up during the resurrection to that James. Oh. In 1 Corinthians 15, it mentions that. Yes? Isn't there, but aren't there two James disciples? Or is there just... There's also two James disciples. Yeah, there's two James disciples. Okay. Yes? And then there's... Okay. Um, so I have... Yeah, so, so Mark is very condensed. I, I'm going to make the case later on that whereas like Matthew and Luke are pretty long and, and probably meant to be read, Mark reads like a sermon to me. And so because of that, there are times where details of the story are left out so that it can be condensed, um, just kind of for brevity's sake. Um, you, you've noticed how often he uses the word immediately. He's kind of in a rush as he's writing. Um, so there's stories about the disciples that get left out in Mark. Some of these details about Pilate get left out. I would read that just as Mark is trying to get through information a little bit more quickly. That would be my guess. It is 9.56, so we need to go. You can ask your question as you